What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 15 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. Hi, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we are all seeking to be the leaders that God has created us to be in the places that he has put us. You know, today we get an opportunity to sit down with a gentleman that has learned to be a leader. But what I love about the guy that we're going to get to talk to today, he's not only learned to be a leader, he's learned how to lead others. In fact, his organization that he leads is called LEAD, Launch, Expose, Advise, and Direct. C.J. Stewart graduated from high school in one of the roughest parts of Atlanta in the Hollywood courts, Hollywood Brooks housing projects area where he grew up, then went on and played minor league baseball, came back, and now is helping young athletes in some of the toughest spots in the city of Atlanta become the young men, not only that their parents want them to be, but the young men that God has designed them to be. And what I love about CJ is he's all about not just starting something, but having the determination to go and finish it. Not only did he go to Georgia State to play baseball and played baseball in the Cubs organization, but after he graduated, he has gone on to mentor some of the greatest baseball players in the country, from Jason Hayward to Dexter Fowler to Andrew Jones to Andrew McCutcheon. CJ is all about making a difference through his lead organization, through Diamond Directors. He is, has unmatched success in the player development industry. You are going to learn leadership from so many fronts, but the biggest area you're going to learn is the heart behind the leadership. I cannot wait for you to hear CJ's story. So I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my time with CJ Stewart. CJ, thank you so much for taking time to be on Lynch with a Leader today. Absolutely, man. I'm excited. Man, I, I've heard about you through years. In fact, we were talking earlier. We've, I think we've run similar tracks and, and just haven't bumped into each other. But I think a lot of people know your name from working with players like Jason Hayward and Dexter Fowler, Fowler and Andrew Jones and McCutcheon from Pittsburgh. But your career began a long time ago here in downtown Atlanta and really one of the roughest parts of Atlanta. Fill everybody in a little bit, CJ about what life was like for you growing up here in Atlanta. Well, Mike, man, I appreciate the opportunity just to even be able to share my story and my testimony. And um, Lord knows I, um, you know, have uh, had a life where I've had to really be uh, awake and understand um, to a degree what my calling is just so I can continue to uh, push along. But I was born and raised in Northwest uh, Atlanta and, um, for all intents and purposes, I was a Grady baby. So in 1976 and around that time, uh, if you were a Grady baby, then you were you were black and uh, born into poverty. <clears throat> and so um, 
My mom was 16 years old when she had me, and uh, she was uh, able to graduate from night school. Uh, you know, as a result uh, of having me so young, my father was uh, was age 25. He's always been in my life, but my parents were very young, uh, products of the inner city of Atlanta, um, which you know also is a well, not for everybody, but for them, they were living at the uh, poverty level. Uh, there were several people in, in the inner city that worked, but um, yeah, and I fell in love with baseball at the age of uh, eight years old. So that was really my saving grace, even though I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know it. But that was the thing that really saved me. My grandfather, uh, a really good man, was a very uh, was a functioning alcoholic, <clears throat> and uh, the things that made him happy was a good meal uh, and a Cubs baseball game. So in the summer, we would watch a lot of Cubs baseball games. <laughs> We would watch the Braves at night. Uh, neither one of them were really good, uh, but I really liked the nostalgia of uh, of the uh, Cubs. Even though when I was a kid, I didn't know the word uh, what nostalgia was, but it was just really a special uh, special thing. So at eight years old, I remember just being in tune to myself and saying, "This is what I want to do when I grow up." When the games are over, I will go outside and I will get foam um, um, cups. And I would cut them, and I would put them on my arm, my wrist or wristband, and I would get rocks, throw them up in the air, and I would try to hit them, and try to hit a target, whether it was a uh, somebody's uh, window at their house or some other kind of object. I was a real bad kid, so uh, you know, be patient with me. And then I would work on my throwing and pitching by throwing rocks uh, to hit trees. So. Uh, you know, that's what life was like for me um, in Atlanta growing up, but baseball was my saving grace. And you met a guy named T.J. Wilson that was an Atlanta police officer that had a huge effect on you, didn't he? Yes. Uh, and T.J., amazing man. He recently passed. Um, he was a really good man. And, and before I tell the story about how I met him, I'll tell you the story about how he met another uh, Atlanta. And uh, so T.J. was a, um, a police officer, was known for riding through the community, spent a lot of time with youth. He, he's from Tennessee, was a huge baseball fan. I, I don't know that he ever played baseball at the uh, high school, but loved baseball. So he's riding around in the, uh, the, the Red Oak community and um, was talking to some boys and, uh, you know, just, hey, man, y'all stay out of trouble, blah, 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 developing a relationship. Well, he drives off. As the story goes, I don't know, he's probably, uh, you know, 200, 300 yards away, good little ways in his squad car. And it was a pack of boys. And somebody threw a rock and busted out the back of his window for whatever reason. And it was a very long distance away. So TJ came and, and, and rounded up as many of the boys as he could and wanted to find out who did it. And uh, so they end up uh, telling on this one kid. TJ gets the kid, finds his parents, takes him in the house and say, look, your son busted out my window. Uh, I will not, you know, deal with him the way that I should if he agrees to play baseball for me. Because this kid's got a, got an amazing arm, and that kid was Marquise Grissom. How so, about uh, that? Yeah, How so, about that? <laughs> so years later, I'm in the same community, same school. Uh, Marquise went to Lakeshore. Yep. I went to Westlake High School. And um, so I'm a ninth grader, and TJ had a daughter that was a senior at the school, and he had a, a middle school son that was coming in the next year. 
So he would always kind of spend time around just kind of seeing what we had to offer for baseball. He saw me. Uh, I can't remember the very early conversations, but he was somebody that I felt comfortable enough telling him, when I grew up, I want to play for the Chicago Cubs. I was very focused on that because of my experience. My grandfather, at age 14, I had a workout for the Chicago Cubs, developed a relationship with Preston Douglas, who was my scout. And Preston drafted me out of high school. And uh, honestly, I mean, it'll come across as being arrogant, but I'm unapologetic with it. And glory be to God for it. Uh, but getting drafted by the Chicago Cubs was probably one of the easiest things that ever happened in my life. It, it was something that I felt like uh, was on my heart to do. And TJ was a great mentor to help me do it. What, so take me back to that time. Would it have been looking back at it now with everything probably in a lot of ways stacked against you did it did it seem impossible to you at that time man one day I'm gonna get drafted by the Cubs or was that just such a dream in your heart that nothing was going to deter you sort of where where did that fall for you back then CJ man I I never once thought that it could not happen um even though we were living in, in poverty we we eventually um things eventually started to become better. My parents have always been very hardworking, and so we ended up being able to move to the to the suburbs and became um, bourgeois, uh, in a sense. And um, But there were still some, some struggles. But um, one of the things, even now as I serve young men, I mean, p- financial poverty can be very debilitating, and I think, the, I believe, the only way to get out of it is a matter of uh, a focus. So the way my life uh, was working, even as a child playing baseball at uh, Adams Park, Johnny White in Atlanta, uh, in Southwest Atlanta, um, it was it was not uncommon for me to go to a baseball game and play in the game and have um, Hank Aaron in the stands, um, Maynard Jackson, who was the mayor of Atlanta, yeah. Andrew Young, Ralph David Abernathy, because within the black community, uh, a lot of your uh, well-to-do blacks were in Southwest Atlanta. So I was fortunate that I was able to play youth baseball in Southwest Atlanta. So there was a lot of resources and a lot of kids. I was raised in North Northwest Atlanta where more, more, more poor blacks live. But I was very fortunate in that. So seeing those icons, I knew who they were because, you know, we, we studied them so much. Um, I felt like also being in Atlanta, I mean, this is the home of Dr. King. This is the home of CNN. This is the home of Delta. So I felt like I was in a place where anything could happen. So for me, getting drafted so much so with Steve Smith, uh, who uh, who I know is in one of your Bible studies, Steve at the time was with the Royals. Uh, I uh, I picked up the phone one day and uh, I called him and asked him if he could give me, give me batting lessons. He had a batting facility. I was just so ignorant to the, the, the proper way of doing things. I just always asked for help. So it, it was, it was easy for me. That's, that's it. I mean, it really CJ is an incredible story because, you know, in life, it's so easy to think of all the things working against me rather than looking at things in, in wherever we live and whatever we do, rather than think, look at the things I have working for me, man, I get to have Hank Aaron in the bleachers. I get to have Maynard Jack. I mean, that's a, that is a whole perspective where your perspective could have been, man, I, I'm not going to get the breaks a kid in Kennesaw is going to get or in Peachtree City. You looked at it the whole other way, man. And that's that says a lot about who's what's going on inside of you, man. I'm that, That's incredible. That really is. 
that really, and I'm an Atlanta native. So I grew up down in Fayetteville. So in fact, we played against Marquise in high school. I got to see him back when he was pitching. And so I know why mm. he can throw a rock far because he can throw the <laughs> fastball. I know that for a fact he could, he could like, bring it. So you get drafted. Did you go directly on into the Cubs organization at that point? I didn't, man. Um, you know, it was, man, I mean, God has been, you know, with me forever. I mean, he truly has. And I'm, and, and even though, um, I, I had some things that was allowing me to make some good decisions. I was also making some, um, some bad decisions. So I graduated from Westlake high school with honors. I had the, the high GPA. I had the high SAT score, um, I was really prepared to graduate from high school, but I was not prepared for college. Mm. So um, I remember even signing my scholarship with Mike Hurst um, on a on a trash can. I remember I, I drove, I, I got Marta, went downtown, um, got off the bus, asked the bus driver if they could wait, uh, signed my scholarship on a trash can, got back on. Uh, on the bus and, and, and was gone. I mean, my, my parents um, were involved, but I was having some, 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 some issues with them, uh, you know, and I'll get into the story of the Georgia State, but one of the things that I was really struggling with as well as a black male was this, um, this desire for, for black males. Sports was almost like just recreation and fun, and it was just a big emphasis on being highly educated and going to Morehouse College and becoming a doctor, a lawyer, engineer, and I wanted to have nothing to do with that. So I really was distancing myself from my family so much so that I I, I was homeless my senior year just so that I could pursue being drafted. I mean, you know, it was, I mean, it was just, they were, everybody was against it. And not against it from the standpoint, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that, but it was not supportive. Now, anything dealing with academics, everybody was right there. So I signed a scholarship at Georgia State on the trash can and um, uh, got drafted. And uh, my mom and dad said that I had to go to college. And so I went and uh, I, I flunked out. Um, I was not prepared. I didn't have the work ethic for college. Um, high school was very easy. I mean, having a high GPA in high school for the most part. I mean, if you, if you go to school every day, and you have at least B attend, I mean B behavior grade, and you study three nights a week. I mean you're gonna have a three point five. Yeah. So I, I didn't have that work ethic. I also dealt with some very strong stereotype threats with regards to race that made me not feel inclusive. Uh, so I, I struggled with that, and just quite frankly, just being lazy. So I flunked out. Um, and uh, so then I transferred to the Cab College to play for Tom Cantrell, uh, great man. And uh, I, he was, he was, I mean, he, great man. Him and Mike Hurst are still a good friends of mine today. I, I talk to him at least once a month and tell him I love him. I flunked out of the Cab as well. Then get drafted again by the Cubs, Preston Douglas. Um. And I re Preston Douglas, this man cared for me so much. He made a promise to me at 14 that, and that's why promises are so important to me in making guarantees because you can. Some coaches hide behind the fact that they can. They can. And I understand we're humans, but if God has you doing his work, 
and you do have the and you do have the spiritual gift of discernment, you can make promises to kids. This man made a promise. He drafted me out of high school and college, even after I flunked out, and lost his job, I believe, because of me, because I had knee surgery before the draft. He drafted me anyway, and when I was sitting in there after I signed my contract, I mean, I was on rehab for about two months, and um, I remember they asked, who's your who's your scout? And they told me Preston Douglas. I ended up talking to him a little while later. He ended up losing his job, I think, because of that. Wow. But, uh, you know, I, I did not have the character uh, to play. Uh, I had the physical ability, um, but just didn't have the character, nor did I have anybody that I respected enough to teach me the character. I had people telling me about it, but people couldn't teach it. So I, it, it, it was it was not for me to be this successful major leaguer, but it is allowing me to fulfill my, my calling today because of my mistakes. Absolutely. So when did the turnaround happen for you? When did that growing up piece really begin to sink in? Was it post your time in the minor leagues? Um, September 7th, uh, 1996. Um, I'm driving on uh, I-20. My parents, uh, at the time I was living living with them, I was in the minor leagues, and my dad asked me to go pick up my sister. It was an ass, but it was more of a tail. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, it was late. He wanted me to go pick up my younger sister in Atlanta from my grandmother's house, and I'm I'm not happy about it. Um, and so I, I it's about nine thirty. So I'm driving from Stone Mountain, and I see a young lady um, driving a uh, a white Escort and um, Ford Escort. And so I looked at her. I mean, she was beautiful. I mean, I, th- the way my life has worked, even with me getting drafted with the Cubs, I mean, I've just got these things in my mind of what I what I need and when I see it, I jump on it. I, I, it. Georgia State is the place for me to go. I get on the bus, I go sign the contract, I mean the scholarship. I get back on, I go home. See this young lady, she she she's dark skinned, pretty smile, uh, appears to be full figured. I mean I I really like full figured women. And so uh I see all of this and I ask her to pull over. I kinda make a gesture with my hand, hey, you know, pull over, which is not that's that's not something I normally go at the time I was very um introverted so anyway she she says no but i kind of get the feeling that you know i'm kind of flirting with her and we're driving and so i make the decision i'm going to follow her i, I know that's wrong i know that's illegal everything <laughs> but but i'm i'm feeling like hey you know this this could this could be my future wife and um so i follow her about a mile off the glenwood road exit there's a texaco off the exit texaco gas station she pulls over a well-lit area she stops her car. I get out. I'm praying she doesn't pull off. I pull. I go up to her. I'm out of my car. I'm standing by her window. She's got a, a small can of mace, and I'm asking her, you know, you, you gonna spray me with the mace? And she was like, you gonna do anything to get sprayed? I was like, nope. We exchanged numbers. Um, I started talking to her that night, and pretty much every day until I go to uh, instructional league on September 15th, 1996. I get back home October 31st. We spend some time with Dayton. I proposed before spring training of 97. We get married November 23rd, 97, and we celebrate 20 years on no, on November 23rd, 2017. That's so, incredible. Yeah, so that was the change in my life. I mean, she, my wife Kelly represented accountability, um, finally in my life, somebody will hold me accountable for being immature, being irresponsible. 
and she was also a church girl. So, you know, that was one of the things that, you know, she said was a, uh, a must that was that I go to church. So I went with her, you know, just, just to make her feel like I was in the church. I really didn't care, but being there and having to be there and hearing the sermons over and over and over, uh, I, I then gave my life to, to Christ. I, I had, I had did it and was baptized as a child, but I was able to do it as an adult. So that was the thing that really, uh, really changed my life. September 7th. That's incredible. That is a great, that is a great, I was probably behind you on I-20 going, why are these two cars riding beside each other? And I got to get around these people. I got to get home. Man. I didn't know this was going on. That, that clears things up on the traffic in Atlanta a little bit. Now we know, now we know what's happening. So that happens. You guys get married. You really begin probably a real spiritual transformation in your life. What would you say that coming to Christ really did for you and changed about you? Well, coming to coming to Christ, actually, um, going through that initial phase was a, a huge disruption. I mean, it was, it was messing up everything that was comfortable to me. I mean, I, I enjoyed, um, before coming to Christ, I enjoyed, um, being able to use profanity as often as I like to without any kind of conscience, uh, taking advantage of people, you know, for my, uh, my own game was something that was very easy and comfortable for me to do. Um, you know, just dealing with lust as well, greed. I mean, all those things were easy for me to do without any kind of accountability. So coming to Christ now, all of a sudden it's like, uh, my my life is not going to be perfect and, and never uh, will be here on earth. But uh, but there was the, the Holy Spirit brought a, a a level of consciousness that was always there, and so I was always having to now make a decision. Whereas before having the Holy Spirit, it was just hey, that's a very stupid thing to do. Feel free to do it and deal with the consequence. And if you get out of it, then hopefully you get a chance to do something else stupid. So. Um, yeah, we're all, we're always one day away from stupid, aren't we? Good night. Right. It doesn't matter. No matter how long we walk, we're one day away from stupid. So you 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 begin the spiritual journey. You get married to a lovely girl who loves the Lord, loves you. Baseball career comes to an end. Did you ever dream, CJ, you would be doing what you're doing today, leading an organization that helps young men? that were just like you? Did you dream that at that point? Did you know that's something you wanted to do? Um, I, it was, you know, again, being in Atlanta public schools in, in Atlanta, the inner city of Atlanta, the, the birthplace of the civil rights movement, uh, it was a part of our curriculum on a pretty consistent basis to, 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 to hear about Martin Luther King and, and him being in Atlanta and um, being a servant leader I never knew what that meant, um, but I've always had some strong attraction to him. Um, also, with Jackie Robinson, who a lot of people don't know, it was born in Georgia. Uh, he was another hero of uh, of sorts. Uh, as I've gotten older, I've learned that the activism um, that he um, the activist that he was. So, as a child, just I wasn't conscious to it, but I just even seeing family members, I knew I wanted to serve and, and do things to help others. Um, 
but I didn't see it clearly. Only thing that I saw clearly was playing professional baseball, making a whole lot of money, hopefully meeting a lot of women and all that kind of stuff. And so um, this, what I'm doing now today as a coach, as a mentor, as an activist is definitely what God has called me to do. And it was, I feel like it's one of those things where even now I can choose to be obedient to it or not to be obedient to it. If I'm doing anything else other than this, then I'm being disobedient and my life is chaos. Yeah. So was it, was it, was it hard to let go of that dream of being a professional baseball player? Was that, was that hard to go? You know what? That's not, that's not his dream for me. He's got other dreams. Was that a hard thing to let go of? It wasn't. I mean, because me playing professional baseball was grounded in me making money and having access to women. And so, um, when I, when I met Kelly, then, you know, I, I felt like everything that I ever wanted out of a woman, the, the, the intellect, the beauty, the, um, the, the ability to help develop me. I, I, I had all of that, uh, 24 seven. So it was good. I didn't have to, I had a, and, and then from the money standpoint, as I got into doing private lessons at sports Arama in Marietta, I mean, yeah. I was like, man, this is great money. I was on a 50-50 split working a lot of hours uh, because there was a lot of kids that we were training. And I was making about, I don't know, you know, on a bad week, $1,000 a week, going from the minor leagues, making $900 a month. <laughs> yep. So, you know, and then, you know, just even the grind to even keep going to play at the major leagues, it was just like, man, I don't have time for this. I don't, I don't want to now that I know the work that I got to put in to be a major leaguer, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be out here hitting extra and hitting late and playing through injuries and, and all of that stuff. So I, I didn't. So now I'm making money. Uh, I'm helping people. I've got a wife. So my desire to play in the major leagues was gone because I was already getting what I wanted out of it anyway. So how did league get started? How did, how did you begin this, this journey to begin to put together an organization with the purpose that we'll get into here in a second. Uh, how did that come about? How did all that come together? It definitely wasn't because I wanted to, um, you know, I had basically um, when I was growing up, it, the, the conversation, not directly, but indirectly was make it out of poverty, get out, don't come back. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, the people that are in poverty, they'll hopefully get out and then don't come back. So the poor are always going always gonna to be among us, but it was just, hey, leave the hood, don't come back. So when as I'm doing, giving lessons at Sports Rama, um, you know, I, I'm now making money and able to move from the inner city to the suburbs. Didn't see anything wrong with that. I mean, that's what you do. And I mean, you know, the, 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 you know being black and bourgeois, and, um, you know, that was kind of the thing that you, you do. You just become better than everybody else and forget about them. Let them stand for themselves. And this is, this is among blacks. <laughs> so yep. I'm, running a, I'm running away from people that look like me because I'm now better. So I'm, I'm, in, I'm in East Cobb. I'm, I'm, I'm doing my lessons. I'm making money. I'm coaching East Cobb uh, teams. I'm with Gary Baldwin, national championship teams, and all that kind of stuff. The furthest thing from my mind is working with black kids in the inner city of Atlanta. Well, black kids from the inner city of Atlanta found me. 
and um, they started coming in, wanting to train with me. I I gotten pretty good with saying no. You know, hey, you don't have enough money, <laughs> and uh, just turning my back on them. And I was I was I was able to do it, but I didn't feel good doing it. But I would I would lie to myself to protect myself from feeling bad and just say, you know, Hey, I'm doing the right thing. Um, so one of my clients, Stan Conway, who, um, at the time had a young, had a son who was in middle school. Stan is one of the most successful developer, real estate developers in, in the country. He's with a company called Majestic Realty. Um, he challenged me one day. He says, CJ, what is it? And, and Stan is a white man. Um, and, 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 and that'll be applicable here shortly as I share. Um, he said, um, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'm, I'm doing fine. I mean, I'm, I'm making money off of you. Uh, I'm making the money off of successful people like you. And then if you look around at the time, Jason Hayward was in the cage as he's asking me this. He's, he's a 16 year old, 17 year old. Um, no, 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 I'm sorry. That was the year before the draft. So that was 2006. Dexter Fowler was in there. Man, at that time I had already been developing first rounders. And he said two things that really uh, disrupted my thinking. He, number one, he's like, well, you are really good at what you do, but your business model is really bad. The mere fact that you're developing all these kids and anybody can walk off the street and work with you for 50 bucks, you ain't that good. I'm like, whoa. Um, and then he said, um, you know, you got this de- decline of blacks in baseball. You're a black man but you're in Cobb County working with majority white kids rather than being at home where you're from. And God had put it on my heart, you know, weeks prior to, um, to, to start lead. I even, I mean, I, the, the name I think originally was leading with education, advice and direction. And uh, it was something that I was sharing with a friend of mine who wanted to get into mentorship. And I told him, I said, Hey man, do you know, work with black kids. And he's a black male as well. Work with black kids in the inner city and do lead. Call it lead. Stan asked me this. Stan said, tell me how much money you need to get it started. Went home, talked to Kelly. We said, you know, we'll do like a little summer travel team and, you know, some camps. And uh, we needed about, I think, I don't know, $40,000, $50,000. Three days later, he sent an email back. You got the money. And he gave us a program director. So that's how lead got started in 2007. And we're celebrating 10 years this year. That's incredible. Yeah, anybody in the baseball community, especially here in Georgia, they know of you guys because you have you've established a reputation and man, you and your product. You put a great product on the field. I know LEAD stands for launch, expose, advise, and direct. What 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 does all that stem from? What's your goal for these young men that come into your lead program to play the game of baseball? but yet you've got a way bigger goals than just teaching them the game of baseball. Share with everybody a little bit, CJ, about what lead, what your passion is, and give them a little snapshot of what's going on with you guys. Yeah, well, first I'll deal with the word passion. So uh, he who owns the definition owns the movement, and my definition for passion um, comes from the Latin word suffering. So the Latin word for passion comes from suffering. So if you can't tell me what you're suffering from, then you you, you can't claim to have passion um, unless you can give me a different definition. And so, mm. you know, what I suffer from is not have, having intentional leaders 
So TJ was a good man, um, but, you know, TJ didn't, and, and maybe it wasn't his, his, his job. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't see what I'm doing now as a means to, to an end. And so I didn't have anybody doing that. Um, so I suffer from that. And that's the reason why we do what we do for lead. Um, in addition to that, my daughter, um, Mackenzie is a junior at the Westminster school, which is one of the top schools in the country for athletics and academics. And Westminster was founded years ago because, um, and it wasn't started by parents. It was started by leaders in the city who said every great city needs great leaders. And so they created the Westminster school to develop leaders. Well, I believe Atlanta still is a a great city. It's not the world-class city that we say that it is, but it is a city that needs great leadership. And so Lee's mission is to empower an at-risk generation to lead and transform their city of Atlanta. We can look no further than, than the direction of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., very successful black man who was educated in Atlanta public schools. We partner with Atlanta public schools to develop these young men. We can look none further than Maynard Jackson, who was also Atlanta public schools uh, alum, who was Atlanta's first mayor. Uh, without him, we wouldn't have the Atlanta airport um, thrive in the way that it is. He was an integral part of that. But then also too, I've got two great white men. Uh, you got Truett Cathy, who, who was an Atlanta public schools alum, uh, who, who who lived in a, in America's first housing project, Kekwood Homes, and then I'll top it off with with Senator uh, Johnny Isaacson, who's a very good friend of mine, who also went to uh, um, the boys' school, which is now Grady Grady High School, which is an Atlanta public school, who used baseball to go to college. So baseball wow. was the thing that uh, Senator Isaacson played baseball at the University of Georgia was a catcher. So Atlanta needs great leadership and it needs it needs great white leadership it needs great black leadership and in, in uh it needs women but specifically for me i'm developing atlanta's um uh black male leadership but but two other things and i'll, I'll come up for air um i don't believe that atlanta will ever become a world-class city until hundreds of thousands of black males are living a sustainable life of significance so when people ask me why I do what I do, Atlanta ain't a world-class city. It just ain't. And I go on record to say that with anybody, and I say it in front of all kind of people. It's just, it's just not. If I was born and raised in 30318. Youth living in 30310, 30315, and 30318 today grow up to represent 80% of the prison population for the state of Georgia. Wow. Georgia is number one in incarceration in America. America is number one in incarceration in the world. And we're talking about we're a world-class city. I'm 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 going to drop the bomb even more. If you are born in poverty in the inner city of Atlanta, where I was born, where Dr. King was born, where Truett Cathy was born, if you're born in the poverty, you have a 4% chance of making it out. 4%. Four percent. Four, four. So, so if you're not outside that four, you might as well. I mean, you, you're going to have to. You, I mean, I guess you can try to figure out how to live a fulfilling life and be happy. Poor. Statistically, you have no shot, and sixty percent 
of inner city um, black males, 60% either will not graduate on time or at all. So if you are black, I mean, you pretty much have no shot. The last thing you need to be doing is trying to play on some baseball team where where the person who's leading the way is not intentional about you becoming um, successful and using your success to serve others. Caesar Mitchell, who's the Atlanta um, Atlanta City Council president, played baseball at Benjamin E. Mays High School. Andre Dickens, who's a councilman, played baseball at Mays. Kwanzaa Hall played baseball at Mays. Courtney English, who's the Atlanta Public Schools board chairman, played baseball at Frederick Douglass. So many of the leaders that are running this city played baseball here in, in Atlanta. So I have the responsibility because of the mistakes that I made in my life, I have the responsibility to be intentional with developing the leadership of this city. And it's not only going to be good for us, but it's going to be good for everybody. Because uh, if you lead in Atlanta, you lead in the world. Yeah, there, there is no, no doubt about that. What's it going to take, CJ, to get these guys? So as you, as you work with these young men with this intentional focus of they can beat the percentages, they can, they can beat these odds, what all is involved in that? What all is involved in what you teach them, how you train them? What are some of the components of that? So one of the things that we do that is really, really awesome is uh, we, ha- we have a framework and, uh, that we use, and it's our Pathway to Empowerment framework. So we're with them year-round, and we, we, we meet them where they are to get them where they need uh, to be. Now, if I stop right there, that's, that's just another trite statement, and it's the reason why our kids are struggling the way that they are because Georgia ranks at the top, the top percent of nonprofits. <laughs> so we have more nonprofits than ma- majority of the other states in the country, yet and still we're at the bottom in education. So it, it ain't because folks don't uh, want to do the work and, and don't love kids. It's just, you don't know, you don't know what you're doing. And so for me, uh, my mistakes have allowed us to go through this pathway to empowerment. So uh, b- b- black kids, black males living in poverty need uh, intentional focus. So, August, September, and October is is our months of assessment. Uh, during that time, we're not teaching you nothing. We're watching to see what you can do. And and poor people, um, I was poor, and you know there's a there's a there's a, a level of discernment that you got to be able to have in order to survive. So these so these kids ain't stupid. So I'm gonna watch you. So that's August, September, and October is our assessment months. November, December, and January are our engagement months. So now we're teaching you something, okay? February, March, and April is our empowerment month. So we've taught you something, then we're going to let you teach somebody else. And then we wrap up the summer with our summer baseball, and that's application. So it's now time to, to get it. Uh, during, the, during the summertime, we, we, this is not the time to teach you anything. You better be locked in or get kicked out. Uh, during these uh, during these months, so we're very intentional with that. And then the other thing, a component um, that I'll give from a thirty thousand foot view, is um, is is what we call the C, and that's standards, expectations, and accountability. Um, when you think about it, so lead, so so life in itself is a C, and sometimes the C is smooth, sometimes it's rocky. I mean, Jesus Christ was was on that boat. 
and uh, with those disciples, and that thing got rocky. He was still asleep, yep. and um, and, uh, and and so they, they they did not have the the faith. So we have a boat, and there are several boats. Uh, Six four three has a boat in the sea. East Cod Baseball has a boat in the sea. Lead has a boat in the sea. And so if you come on our boat, there's standards, there's expectation, and there there's accountability. We will remove you. And that's one of the things that a lot of black males struggle with when it comes down to our program and the reason why they oftentimes don't want to join because they know they will clearly get kicked out. If you do not meet our standards, which is based on attendance, behavior, curriculum, which is your grades, and then the S is service, you're going to get kicked out. And we've existed for 10 years. We've never, we've, we've never won more than 10% of our games in our 10 years of existence. Yet, 95%, we have a, I'm sorry, we have a 100% graduation rate. 100%, 60% of black males don't graduate from high school in the city of Atlanta. And we serve at any given time here 350 plus black males throughout the calendar year. 100% graduation rate, 95% go to college. The other 5% go to the military. 92% go to college on scholarship. So we're getting getting our heads beat in by travel teams all across the, Atlanta, all across Georgia, all across the country. Yet 92% of our guys are going to college on scholarship at the Division One level, Division Two, and so on and so forth. But the thing that scares a lot of black males about us um, and the reason why a lot of them don't want to come to us is because of them standards and expectations and that accountability. But that's what poor black males need. That's what I needed. Mm. That's the reason why I flunked out. Of, that's the reason why I flunked out of college because I was running from folks that would hold me accountable. That's the reason why I had a very short career in the minor leagues with the Chicago Cubs. It wasn't because I couldn't swing it. It wasn't because I couldn't throw it. I had I had issue with accountability. So, um, like I tell these young men, hey. Lee can be the best thing that ever happened to you, but it can be the worst thing because we are going to deliver on this accountability immediately. So these guys, so so there's a lot of coaches I know that'll be listening to this, CJ, that are working with, with kids of all types, but some young black males, maybe some with dads not at home. Why is that so big that they have those standards, expectations, and accountability for those young men? Why, why is that such a big deal for coaches that are working with athletes? Well, specifically black males. I mean, the, the bottom line is, is, you know, for anybody that, that doesn't want to have an honest conversation. I mean, if you were, if you've been living under a rock, I mean, that's, that's, that's fine. But uh, black men have been demonized in, in our country uh, for many years. Now, that being said, um, I don't have no problem with, with, with no, I mean, I have a level of confidence that allows me to be confident no, no matter who you are, black, white, gay, Muslim. I, I mean, it just, because by the grace of God, that's, that's where I am. But, but black males, uh, for the most part, um, have strikes against them and don't have the benefit of the doubt. So um, strike number one, you're black. Strike number two, you're male. And strike number three, uh, you're, you're stupid until you prove Otherwise, and I'm defining stupidity as, you know, the right thing to do, um, but choose not to do it. Well, I, I fulfilled all of that as a as a black male and didn't even have to. But it was easier for me to just lean in on those benefits um, when I was in those challenging situations. And I had a mom and dad at home. Mm. A, a good, good family. But the perception was that I didn't. So because I was lazy, I was always wanting somebody to just, you know, cut me some slack. So um, 
the the the, the black black males we, we we struggle with inclusivity. We we already know, and I don't care how many degrees your mom and your dad have. I don't care if your dad, your granddaddy was was decorated in the in the army or whatever. You're black, and there's a negative perception about you. So if 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 if, if, if people that are coaching black males and specifically for us, because black males often do not get the benefit of the doubt, the standards have to be clear. The expectation has to be clear. So it's not enough to just say, "Hey, man, uh, the standard is attendance." I'm expecting you to be here. And then if you miss X amount of days, you're going to be gone. And so trying to pacify somebody and not fulfilling that accountability, now all of a sudden you got a kid who's going through the world, who's already got this perception of himself because he's black. He's also fighting the perceptions that, uh, that are being placed on him consciously or subconsciously. And now you don't have the habit of meeting expectations. So what you end up getting, if you're anything like me, you end up flunking out of college. Yep. You 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 end up squandering your dream. But when you see that young lady drive by in that white escort, you don't miss out on that. And when she say go to church, you go to church. <laughs> ah, it's, it's amazing how that can change, isn't it? It's amazing Absolutely. how that can change. So what role has your spiritual journey played in all of this. You found Christ, you began to grow, you talked about that Holy Spirit's working within you. How has that driven you to be leading these young men that are put in your care? Yeah, I mean, for the most part of the year, this is, I mean, this is, this is, I mean, dealing with people in, in general is very hard. Um, but dealing with, dealing with young men that are broken, that don't know they're broken or, um, don't want to admit they're broken. I mean, it, it's really hard work. And, and, and the majority of the year, I don't want to do this work. And so because I know everybody has a calling to fulfill and, and we all have spiritual gifts, um, I believe that my calling, um, because of the fruit of the Spirit, I believe this is, uh, is evident um, in, in Galatians 5. Is it Galatians 5, 22, 23, I believe, yeah. that's uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, coaching and mentoring and activism, I believe, is my uh, my calling. And my spiritual gift is discernment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I get a chance to use all those things. And so without that, man, I'm not, and I don't even get paid to do lead at all. Um, it is, I have a for-profit business that's going well, so I'm still developing young men that are becoming major leaders. Matter of fact, Charlie Coberson is a young man that I uh, got a chance to work with at age 10. And uh, my wife and I started a sports management group in 2007, the same year we started lead and he was our first client. So a lot of, I, I negotiated contracts with a lot of scouts and stuff who even knew me and I didn't even have a degree. I flunked out of college, but Charlie Coberson in the major leagues right now and Colin McHugh, uh, who pitched uh, game four, I believe. Uh, he, I represented him when he got drafted by the uh, the, the Mets. Wow. So um, so we, we still have a thriving for-profit um, business. I don't get paid on lead at all. I mean, lead is my calling to fulfill. And um, without, without a relationship with Christ, th- there's, there's, there's no way I'm... I'm strong enough spiritually, I mean, emotionally or mentally to, to do this. 
That's that's awesome, CJ. That is awesome, man. Why, you know, as a as a guy in the, uh, I've got my foot in the 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 baseball world to a degree, not like you do, but just to a degree. Man, you're making a difference, big guy. You really are. You are making a huge difference in these young men's lives. I love I love that verse in uh, the book of Acts where it said David served his purpose in his generation, and then he died. And man, you are, you're serving your purpose. There is no doubt about that. Do you think one day there can be a, a racial reconciliation um, where, where color doesn't matter like it has in our lifetimes? Do you see that day one day, CJ? I do. And part of it is because of even right now. So, you know, you, in order to reconcile, that means you have to actually be together. Right. So the mere fact that you, the mere fact that you as a white man have a platform where we can even have this conversation, so that the, so that people understand, like, stop going around here saying we need to reconcile, as if blacks and whites from the foundation of this country were together. We we weren't. <laughs> um, now we can reconcile. So you even asking that question, you said, can we reconcile? And I believe that we uh, we can. And it's gonna in, in order to. In order to do it, I remember when I was going through the new members class in my church, Elizabeth Baptist Church uh, in Atlanta, and, and where I serve as a deacon, uh, they're very serious about uh, membership there. I mean, you, they really want to make sure that you understand the commitment that you're making, because it's not to a pastor, it's, 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 it's to, to God, and we're going to stand yeah. in judgment. But it, we went through this process, of, and it was called the, uh, the, the ACTS method, and it stands for Acknowledgement, Confession, thanksgiving and supplication as a as a prayer method so when i'm praying i've developed the habit of you know going to god, god and acknowledging that he's my father uh confessing my sins specific sins daily uh thanking him for stuff and then supplication is, 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 is asking with earnest so i'm not asking god for anything until i first acknowledge that he is god and then i'm confessing all the stupid stuff that i'm doing daily uh, and then thanking him for things and then supplication. Well, the only way we're going to have reconciliation is we're going to have to acknowledge the fact that we were never together. <laughs> yeah. we, I mean, blacks, blacks were, blacks had one purpose in this country and that was slavery. I, I, it, it just, it is what it is. And anybody that wants to frown up on that, I mean, it's just kind of like even in marriage. I mean, if, if, if I'm, if I do something to hurt my wife and I don't acknowledge it, then she's probably not even a good enough wife to even be with if she's just going to let it slide. I mean, like, that's just, it's just ridiculous. I did something wrong. So we got to acknowledge how this, how this country founded it and, and, and what, what our, our role was as, as like, and then our country, we, we're going to, we're going to have to confess that it was a, it was a bad thing. It, it happened. It was a, it was a bad thing. And then there's some things to be thankful for in that it's no longer as bad as it was. Yeah, uh, and we got to thank we got to thank those people that gave their life. Uh, black people and white people gave their life so that you and I could be having this conversation. As you as a white man, me as a black man. Um, but we can't be we can't be doing no thanking until we do some acknowledgement and some confession, and then the supplication is we're 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 asking for forgiveness. You, you, I mean, you know, there, there's there's I mean, there's some forgiveness that needs to be asked for. And then there's some forgiveness that blacks are going to have to to say yes to, that I say yes to, 
for my own sake, you know. So I, 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 I don't have a problem again with with people of other races for the sake of this conversation, black and white. I don't, have a I don't have a problem with white people. One because, like I said, I, I have a level of confidence because of my relationship with Christ, and I understand my calling to the field, and I and I I can go into conversations about race with discernment. To, to figure out when, when, when the conversation starting to switch and I can move it most part where I need to go. Man, but even also awesome. too, definitely. Yeah, I mean, and so it, it, it helps. And so I, I get to advocate for boys, black boys and, and so on and so forth. But again, definition words matter. So there's a definition for racism and I have my definition for me. You can't be racist unless three things are happening. Number one, you can't be racist unless you're of the majority race. So you, you have to be white in order to be racist. If, if you're not of the majority race, I just don't think you can be racist. Number two, you have to have power. So if, 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 if you are of the majority race and you have power, then, and I'm talking about power to influence, let's just say a significant amount of people, it could change anywhere from a hundred to a thousand. And then the third thing is you got to be able to, you got to be able and willing to negatively hurt people that are of the, of the minority race with your power. So if you're not white, you don't have any power, and you're not using that power to hurt anybody, you can't be racist. So if you're white with no power to hurt anybody, you're not racist. If you say, if you call me a nigger or you do anything derogatory, you're not racist. You're stupid. Right. So that that is calming for me to where like, because I, I, I got to know who I need to be fighting and who I don't need to be fighting. Right. If you ain't got no power, if you ain't got no power, then I, I I don't need to fight you with my resources that I would if I had to fight somebody who has some some power. Yeah. So that's good, man. That is good, and man, I you know it, what I love, and I think the. Probably one of my favorite words you've used today is that word intentionality too, that you were talking about earlier, you know, that, that you're not just gathering for these guys. There, there's a bazillion organizations to go play summer ball. They'd love to have your money. They would love to give you four uniforms. They would love to never practice. They really only need you between May and August. And they will, they will showcase you in front of all the coaches and all the tournaments, but that's really the end goal of the organization but that intentionality that, man, you've got a process that you want to set up to set these guys free. That's a big deal, man. That is a really big deal. So if somebody's listening to this CJ and they're like, man, I would love to know more about how I can get involved, how I can help. What would you tell them to do? Yeah. So our website is uh, lead the number two legacy.org. So that's lead the number two legacy.org and um you know it's obviously we know about giving time talent and treasure uh it does take all three i mean that's that's biblical <laughs> it's going to take some time it's going to take some talent it's going to take some treasure i mean you know the the the, the, the disciples and being fishermen i mean that was a talent uh you got to eat <laughs> so uh, you you got to have a combination of a lot of different people to get stuff done. But one of the things, the, the people that have the best experience with us, uh, it falls within three things. Um, you got to be a present. You got to be present. And then you got to be a partner. 
So be a present. If you do not think highly of yourself, um, it's a distraction for our boys. I mean, we're we're already dealing with boys who don't think highly of themselves. So people that are humble to a fault, it's just, it's just not a good place to be with us. You know, so, so God has given us all gifts and talents. And then for the sake of humility to a fault, I'm going to hide them because I don't want, I don't want anybody to think that I'm being arrogant. Well, hurting people hurt people. Right. So kids that need help don't get no help from you if, 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 if you're apologizing for the gifts that God has given you. So we need people that can literally come in, stand tall, hear my gifts, yeah. uh, be present. So be present doesn't mean you have to come every day. Matter of fact, I, I spend 25% of my time um, with, with leads and 75% of my time is on my for-profit business. But on my 25%, when, when I'm present, whether I'm in face-to-face or sometimes it's just a matter of just, um, I'm a visual learner. So I create a lot of illustrations that prove points um, like the sea. I mean, I got an illustration that shows the lead boat in that, in that sea and, 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 and those kind of things. So a lot of times I'm not there, but in the group chat, I'll send messages. I'll send quotes. I'll send scriptures. So I don't have to always be physically pre- Jesus Christ is not present today in the flesh. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, so, so, so this whole notion that, well, I really want to get involved with lead, but I, but I, but I can't because I don't have the time. We don't need you to be physically, physically present. If, if you are a present, you don't need to be here all the time. And then, the, and then the third thing is to be a partner. Come in and, and, and share what you're struggling with. Again, hurting people hurt people. It is amazing that you have people that um, will go out of their way, with all due respect, to come into the inner city to work with uh, struggling black males. When you got fathers that got whose whose own children are struggling in their own house. Yep. I mean, you know, it's like take care of your own house first. You 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 got you got people that will leave the suburbs, black, white, whatever, come into the inner city of Atlanta because you know you got kids that are involved in crime, but you got you got you got you got people right within your community that are dying of drug overdose, and you're leaving from all of that. So. We need people that can come into our space and be honest about the things that they are struggling with because people do not believe your success until they believe your struggle. Yeah. So when I come in, I'm telling I'm telling the boys everything that I'm struggling with, everything that I have struggled with, and I'm asking for their help. I'm asking for their patience. I'm asking them to hold me accountable. Profanity can be something that 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 is uncontrollable for me at times. And um, when things are happening, I you know I get upset and 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 I start communicating in a way sometimes that causes me to use profanity, and so they 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 have permission to check me on that. So CJ, that right there was totally unnecessary, and so but but I got to give them give them that permission, and so I'm 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 leading them in a very intentional way in that I mean I'm gonna fall short if I come in here trying to be perfect in front of them. I'm gonna mess everything up. That's right. So we want people that are we want people that are present. We want people that can be present uh, um, using in person <laughs> or content, and then be be a partner. But again, our website is leadtolegacy.org. That's awesome, and we'll have a link to that in our show notes. CJ, you're on point, man. 
Thank you for what you're doing. Thanks for the difference you're making. And thanks for being a part today, man. You have, you've been a blessing. And I know that, uh, man, what you've shared today will be right on what some people needed to hear. So thank you so much, buddy. Thank you for the exposure. I mean, this is truly a calling for you as God to be because, man, just this whole experience was just great. I mean, the sequence of your questions and, man, uh, that's truly a gift uh, on your behalf. And I appreciate you. I hope you enjoyed that time with CJ. Good night. You know, it's funny. CJ and I have been in opposite dugouts a couple times and have probably met after games, but I've never sat down with him. But what I love about CJ is being in the baseball community here in Atlanta. I've watched the difference he's making. You know, every episode, I have a word that makes me think of that person or what comes out of the interview. With Coach Deggs last time, it was the word passion. With Tony Beasley, the time before, it was faith. But with CJ, I think the word is hope. You know, CJ's walking into areas nobody else walks into, and he is becoming a dealer in hope. Did you hear the graduation rates of these young men that are in his program? Unbelievable. Holding them to standards, challenging them to excellence. And you know what he's finding out? He can get it. And aren't you thankful for men like C.J. Stewart? They don't talk about making a difference. They are out there on the front lines making a difference. And what I loved about the story was he was in a batting cage, giving lessons, making good money. When somebody offered him the opportunity, hey, why don't you go back and do this for other people? And what I love about that is I believe when we begin to live out the purpose that God created us for, when we begin to find why God placed us here on this earth, we will always discover it was never about us. Our journey was always for somebody else. C.J. Stewart is making a difference in the lives of the somebody else's. And his aren't one or two. His difference is being made now in the hundreds because of lead, because of diamond directors, and because of all the organizations he gets to be a part of and all the shoulders he rubs up against and his life rubs up on. And I'm so thankful he found his calling. He found his passion. Was it easy? Didn't sound like it. Was it simple? Nope. Was everything stacked, stacked against him? You bet it was. But yet in the middle of it, he found what he was created for. Thank you, C.J. Stewart, for joining us on Lynch with a Leader because I'm telling you, I believe his story maybe triggered something in some of you. You've been sitting on that dream. You've been sitting on that idea. You've been sitting on that stirring that's going on inside you. And today it's like God tapped you on the shoulder and it unlocked something within you that you can't believe. Go for it. Chase it. Hey, if God didn't want you to do it, ask him to close the door. But if he does, chase the dream. Follow that dream that God put within you. You know, go, you go back and you trace the stories of people that have made the greatest differences. It always involved a stirring to begin, didn't it? Nehemiah building the wall. David taking down a giant. Man, all of them. It was a stirring that they acted on. C.J. acted on the stirring that God put within him.
took the risk, and now others' lives are blessed. What a great story. Well, next time we gather on our next podcast, we're going to sit down with Chris Hogan from Dave Ramsey Solutions. Chris Hogan is just one of those. In fact, when you hear him, he's got the velvet voice. He is incredible. You hear him on the Dave Ramsey show. You hear him on Entree Leadership. You see him at all their conferences for Financial Peace University. He just wrote a new book that talks about how we can retire inspired and and learn to build our financial platform so we can live the life that God created us to live. You are going to love our time with Chris Hogan. But until then, go out and be the leader that God created you to be because when you do, you bless the people that God has put in your path. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you'll share this on uh, your platforms, maybe on Twitter, Instagram, any of those social networks, and also leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio and let others know that you have been inspired by the stories of some of these great leaders living out the calling that God put on their lives. Thanks for joining me today and look forward to seeing you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.